Welcome once again to Oakwood Connect. This is Pastor Ariel, along with my co-host, John El uh, Elder John Tromley. And we're going to be uh, reviewing some of the things regarding the law of God, righteousness, and expanding on we really cannot keep the law, but we have to keep the law. Today on Oakwood Connect. Welcome, John. It's no humming, no no hammerings out there, and there's no fans. Every once in a while, you might hear a hammering, but yeah, oh, that's true. Spackling. <laughs> uh, the, the church is starting to come back into shape, and we're praising the Lord for that. Um, there's no more wet spots; mm -hmm. just a whole bunch of little holes right, right. <laughs> at the bottom of our walls. Uh, it's just good to see little by little how the church comes together, and it makes me think, John, of you know, sin has done that to us. We're the living temples, mm. you know, and sin has busted the pipes inside of us. And the Lord is putting us together from the inside. Mm. And what we're looking at is the hammerings and the speckling and the removal of that which will corrode us. And Jesus is speaking about the law. Interesting that you use it, you know, that scenario because, you know, as you have a project like this, as you're trying to put a church together, you have a perfect plan, right? But then sometimes the church doesn't agree with your plan <laughs> and you have to make provisions for that. So it's interesting that that's the... Yeah. The example you use <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's uh the plan of god is not something that uh he had to change and we're going to read some things that many christians have misunderstood mm -hmm. it, they misunderstood that god had a plan and then he thought about it through it's like you know what keeping the law is really not the way to go mm. i need to do grace right and most evangelicals are unfortunately and protestants our, our brothers and sisters out there have been presented with that idea that in the Old Testament, God said, you know, let's try to relate to humans by, you got to keep the law. And then after thousands of years of failing, finally he says, you know, I'm going to send Jesus. Let's try something different. Let's try grace. And so you have the dispensation of you are saved by the law. And now you have the dispensation, and that's the language that is used, you are saved by grace. Right, right. And that is false. Mm -hmm. um, at least half false. Um, it, the New Testament, you're definitely saved by grace. But you know what? It was always made by grace. Right. And, and, you know, again, and we, we talked about this last week as well. You know, it, you know, the key word consistency, right? That mm -hmm. God is consistent. And, you know, again, but if God could goof this up somehow, well, then is he really That's right. uh, worth worshiping? Then? That's right. I mean, the, the, the idea that he came up with a faulty way of saving people that actually was harsh and miserable. Paul right. speaks about that, you mm -hmm. know, in Romans. And so we get this idea that in the Old Testament, man, sure, I'm glad I'm the New Testament, you know, being born in this era. But what does that say about God in mm -hmm. the end? And what you said is, is consistency. So let us look at this passage and look at that through the lens of God is consistent. God makes no mistakes. And the way he saved people in the past is the same way he saves us today. So how to relate to the sayings of Jesus, like in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, 21, when he says, You have heard... From old or from the ancient ancients that they were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court but i say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court and then he goes down and escalates it to the point where if you say to someone you fool you are guilty enough to go into fiery hell so many people see, see this and say see jesus is doing away with the law you mm -hmm. have heard, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you. And so there it is. Jesus is saying, forget about that commandment. 
I'm giving you a new commandment. Right, which is if you're going down that road, the new commandment isn't any Easier. better. <laughs> it's way harder. Yeah. So, I mean, let's look at the next one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mm. So, which one do you pick? You know, the literal physical being with someone that's not your spouse, being in bed, uh, and that having to happen so that now you have committed adultery versus you can commit adultery with all your clothes on in the middle of church. Mm. Mm. And again, it, you know, if we're going to go down that road of, you know, uh, see, he's done away with the law, and now this is the, the new law, well, you're... You're doomed. Let's go back to the back. You're <laughs> doomed. It's easier <laughs> to not murder. Most of us have not murdered, right? That's right. Not literally, but right. like I said last week, did you get angry? Have you ever gotten angry? Exactly. Have you ever lost it? You mm -hmm. know, uh, those are things that uh, many Christians miss with this. Mm -hmm. Jesus here is not by any means uh, doing away with the law. Right. Um, I like to look at it like if, if we saw it at face value before, now Jesus is putting this big, ultra-strong magnifying glass right. over it. Mm -hmm. He's zooming in. He's letting us go, go past the surface and seeing the heart of what he wants us to do. Exactly. And, and, and right there is the key word, right? The heart of it. He, you know, like we're saying, it's easy not to not to murder somebody. That's, that is kind of easy. You can easy. punch them, right? They're right. not going to die. Exactly. But this, but what can... Uh, overcome everything that you're thinking about is this anger mm -hmm. or adultery. I mean, that is really what motive. When that becomes your motivation for life, boy, that there's no you know, there's no hope for you there. Yeah, there's, and that's the point we made last week, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing how how Jesus is masterfully removing any security, any shred of security in myself being able to ever keep the law. Mm -hmm. Jesus is telling us. You have to keep the law, but you will never be able to keep the law, which is not a negation or a contradiction. Is Jesus wants us to have no more options to keeping the law in ourselves. We need to look outside of ourselves if this is ever going to become a reality. Mm -hmm. But this goes against everything that is kind of preached today, isn't it? Yes. And when I say preached, I mean not just from pulpits, not just from pulpits, but I mean from our television screens and yeah. and in everywhere else, our phones, every, everywhere else, you know. Now we're we're in this uh, age of enlightenment again, uh, where uh, yeah, you can change yourself. You know, w with our words, everybody says the right things, mm -hmm. and then they have no way of actually living up to it. Yep. You know, so we've we've been escalating to this point. Right. Jesus has been escalating to this point. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about John Lennon writing a beautiful song, right. yet failing to live up to it. Um, so Jesus is systematically just chopping away at all this this self-securities that right. the religious people had developed upon themselves, which were all externals. I mean, in verse 23, it's the same pattern from verse 21 through verse 48. It's the same pattern. Mm -hmm. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false uh, vows. You shall not bear false witness. In verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, all of these statements, Jesus is taking what's familiar to the listeners and zooming in 
so that it becomes shockingly new. Mm. You heard it, but you need, didn't understand it. Right. Which, I mean, for, for us as Christians, especially lifers, right, like myself, how many times did I hear things like this and it never registered, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so Jesus keeps uh, highlighting that. You have heard that it was said of old. Um, you have heard that it's been said. You have heard. You have heard, but you don't get it. Just like they didn't get it back then, you don't get it now. Just because you haven't taken a stone and killed someone the way that Cain did with Abel does not mean that you're not guilty in my eyes for doing that. Because I didn't approach Cain after he murdered Abel. I approached Cain when he was angry. Mm-hmm. In Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says that Cain was angry with his brother and God steps in. God steps in at the, at the, when the seed of anger begins to grow in the soil because he knew where it would end up. So as far as God was concerned, Cain, you, you are on the path of judgment and fiery hell. You, you are putting yourself in the path of self-condemnation. And I'm not going to wait until after you kill your brother. I'm coming to you as this thing is growing in your heart. Mm. So Jesus is using the law in, in the most beautiful way. It lets us know we are in trouble before we are in trouble. Before you actually sleep with someone else that's not your spouse, Jesus, through the law, will begin to reveal to you you're not happy with your current marriage. You know, he talks about you shall not commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, but if anyone looks at a woman with lust in, her, in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Now, you and I talked about this as we were reviewing, you know, our, our trajectory for the program. This is not a warning just for married people. You can develop the habit of lusting after people as a, as a bachelor. And that's a dangerous thing because you could end up marrying someone because of a pretty face, sure. because of pretty hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and not of substance. I'm marrying this person because I, I, I like their involvement in church. We, we share common interests, etc. She's just so pretty. <laughs> or he's just so hot. Mm-hmm. And so you get married to someone because you're lusting and you think it's love, like Samson, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Or Solomon, the wisest man on earth. He also fell victim of this. Mm-hmm. And you can marry someone that it won't take you long afterwards to learn that it was a huge mistake. Right, right. You can be married, and if you allow this toxic seed of lust in your heart after you're married, you'll be convinced you married the wrong person, mm. even though you haven't. So it's dangerous on both ends, and the issue is more than just behaviors. The issue is the heart. And you know, it, it, what you're talking about you know, with this, there's a, uh, a, a, a problem for, uh, in, in church where how do we deal with divorce, right? Mm. Uh, and I'm not just saying Adventism, I'm saying all religions deal with this how do we deal with divorce and what you're talking about is is that we didn't we need to talk about what the definition of love is first right we need to understand this adultery thing this lust thing so here we are dealing with a problem that we're we're 10 steps in already yeah you know so so you know so this resonates this absolutely resonates with, with and there's even you know a way to relate to it because right after you should not commit adultery you would have thought he goes into, you know, uh, you don't steal, but mm-hmm. he goes into, you, you know that it was said to you, uh, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Jesus will deal with that verse much uh, in a more direct way in Matthew chapter 19. So Jesus is saying, listen, the reason they had to, we had to deal with this issue now of divorce is because you did not understand you shall not commit adultery. Right. Mm -hmm. You thought adultery was you already being in bed with someone, uh, but that started years before. Right. And the reason you're divorcing today is because you lost it or you allowed yourself to develop this idea of lusting for the past six months, a year, whatever. So you are where you are. Uh, you, you were you are where you are because you allowed yourself to be there long before you were even aware of it mm -hmm. and now we have to deal with with divorce and in divorce jesus puts it in the context of infidelity um it's not when the person is struggling it's when the person has crossed a boundary and there are boundaries in marriage mm -hmm. and if the person crosses that boundary the the innocent party has that option of saying I'm honoring your choice. I pled with you for years. Mm -hmm. I, I begged you. Uh, let's go seek for counseling. And instead of repenting and choosing this path, you are holding on. And eventually, you have left me mm -hmm. for this. It's interesting that this imagery is very much present in the Old Testament and God using it in, as an allusion or a symbol of him and his people. The book of Hosea is, is one of the clearest Old Testament prophets that show how God tries to get us to reference just as the innocent party's heart aches and is wounded because of the unfaithfulness of the other, God, God's heart understands that pain. And that's the only time that he allows for the marriage to dissolve, mm -hmm. which number one, presents how serious God takes marriage, and number two, how, he, how committed he is to healing and fixing our marriages. Right, you know, this is a, it, it goes off track a little bit, but you know, when we talk of the sanctity of marriage, God gave us marriage for all of these, these examples that you're talking about. You know, we were supposed to remember him through marriage. So when we talk of the, you know, again, uh, hot button topics of today or the sanctity of marriage, once again, uh, we're 10 steps in. We, yes. we got rid of that a long time ago, you know. So, um, so again, just interesting. There are so many lessons that, you know, we know uh, being married, we know all of these lessons that really are, they really do point us back to God. You know, there's, we talked about some of these cultural things that have come into or become part of our culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's wrong. Don't get me wrong. But I do need to think we, we have to evaluate things and step into them with caution. The idea of dating mm -hmm. can certainly open the door for, let me try this, and if I don't like it, hey, I have the receipt, I'll take it back. Right. You know, the idea of experimenting with relationships with the door out. Um, by, by no means am I saying that, you know, you're, you're committing adultery if you're dating. I'm not equating those two. What I am equating is, the idea of commitment. Mm -hmm. Friendship, I believe, is a much better context to learn commitment. And people may be in a friendship and the world wants to label. We love labels, right, mm -hmm. in our world. Say, oh, you guys are dating. We're just spending a lot of time together because we're finding that we really have a lot of cool stuff in common. And I have a lot of fun when I'm with this person. When I'm with him, I just have a lot of fun. Right. And I'm not violating my conscience. I have God in the mix. Um, my parents are involved in this. My parent, both both parents are happy for this friendship that is developing, because we have relegated friendship to be kind of like this um, 
less than right. your friends. But if you're dating, ooh, you've that's reached a, a right. higher level. Where in reality, all that's happened is the friendship has deepened. Mm-hmm. The friendship has reached a, a different level. Dating really was not a, a word in the vocabulary for within the last couple of decades, even in our own vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is, I think, a, a cultural phenomenon because prior to this, at least in the Bible, and now as parents of you know, <laughs> daughters, I, <clears throat> I like it more and more that the parents picked the boyfriend. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. And actually, they weren't even called boyfriends. They were called your fiance, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I know that for when I was 16, 17, I would have dreaded the idea of my parents one day coming and saying, here's a young lady we picked out for you mm-hmm. um, because you think they're going to pick something horrible. You know, she can cook, you know, right. uh, well, I don't care. Is she pretty? Does she wear a perfume? All those superficial things. But the more I think about it, even if you, you took that out of the picture, parents our, our Christian culture ought to be one that facilitates the development, developing the learning of commitment. Mm-hmm. That if friendship is is you being faithful. Right. Uh, the book of Proverbs says that um, there's a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And a friend is born for the day of adversity. So that's commitment because what that says, a friend is born for the day of adver- adversity, sounds like that vow that says in sickness or in health, in poverty or in riches, uh, when the good times or the bad times, I'm still going to be your faithful friend. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think for for me, you know, when I communicate this to my daughters, and I hope I'm I'm, I'm going to listen to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> in the future, is I'm going to tell them, you know, this is just a very special friend. Mm-hmm. To start going with the world's labels can muddy the water because it's almost like your boyfriend is your quasi husband, mm-hmm. and or for boys at least, you know, your girlfriend means that now there's privileges. Right. Mm-hmm. That privileges, you know, if she's your friend, you protect her. If she's your friend, you will not want to take advantage of her. You will not want to fulfill your curiosity with her. She's your friend. You don't do things to your friends. To your girlfriend, the way that the world has labeled it, it's just, it, it weakens really the idea of the faithfulness, the commitment that comes with the word friend. When you when you said earlier, you know, I'm not saying that you're committing adultery when you're dating, but at the same time, the culture has almost promoted ad- adultery into That's dating. That's right. That's you know? right. I mean, it's it's in the movies for sure. Right. You know, you don't shop see... around type of thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you you get to experiment, you get to taste, and after a while, you know, you know what? This is wrong. You know, I, I found someone else. Right. With that culture permeates is adultery mm-hmm. it's ad- it, it permeates the culture of i'm accustomed to being with someone but i keep my eyes out just in case right mm-hmm. which is no commitment at all jesus talks about the heart <clears throat> it's the issue of the heart and if i don't guard that at the age of 8 10 15 16 17 it'd be very difficult to change that habit once you're married right mm-hmm. and so divorce you could be preparing yourself to get a divorce when you're 17, 16, by the way you relate to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, right. because you're setting patterns of behaviors. Mm. And really, it's not about saying, well, I got to get better behaviors then, is we need something more. Because the problem here is, is not the fact that we lost or things like that are trying to control. Um, you, you and I could still lost even if someone took our eyes out, you know? Um, because lust is not a problem of the eyes. Lust, it's a problem of the heart. Mm. And so is anger. And so is all the other things that we're talking about. In 43, Jesus nails it when he says, 
You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and you shall hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, you're, you're, I don't know if your Bible has this, but whenever in my printed Bible, whenever it quotes a passage from the Old Testament, it places it in all caps. Mm -hmm. And in this verse, you shall love your neighbor is in all caps, but and hate your enemy is in lowercase, which means that they had become a mingling of human uh, evaluation of what was a who was my neighbor so that I could decide, well, he's not my neighbor, so I, I don't have to love him. Mm. He's my enemy. I can love my neighbor and hate my enemy. Well, that part, hate your enemy, is never found in the scriptures. Wow. Mm -hmm. God never sanctioned the hatred for enemies. In fact, his example was there's a prophet that it gets surrounded by this army. And this, this army is against Israel. They want to destroy Israel. And this prophet kept foiling this, these king's plans to destroy Israel. So he's like, let's destroy the prophet and then we can kill Israel. So they surround the prophet and the angels surround him and protect him. The armies uh, become blind and the king says, uh, prophet, should we, should we slay them? Should we slay them? And the prophet says, no, 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 no. Um, feed them. Mm -hmm. Feed them. Have a feast for them. And when they have this party, the army that was so bent in destroying Israel walks away and there's no more problems. Hmm. So there is this a, a demonstration of how to fight a much better war, a much better battle. Mm -hmm. You can develop better weapons, we can better develop better bombs and better missiles, or we can feed our enemies, show them that we mean you no harm, mm -hmm. and develop trust. So that we cannot do. I, I do not expect North Korea to ever <laughs> implement this, or Russia, or China, or the United States for that matter. No secular um, civil institution will ever adopt the principles of the kingdom of God because they're incompatible. Right. Mm -hmm. But us as humans, we are now confronted with you and I at the end of the day. The reason we struggle with all of these things is because we lack love. Right. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, interestingly, kind of validates the song from the Beatles, right? Here we are with the Beatles again. Huh? <laughs> all you need is love. <laughs> right. But you can't get it from the Beatles or from anyone else. Uh, the book of uh, Romans tells us that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that's the issue. You know, and and, and again, so we're putting this kind of all together. Our, our Again, our Protestant brothers and sisters where they've almost taken the stance of the law isn't loving. Yeah. And what we're learning here is, is that the author of love is the same... A uh, person that does give us this this grace, this mercy, but he, in mercy and in grace, is the law at the same time. So they they can't be separated. What more merciful gift could God give a thirteen year old than love, so that this thirteen year old can can have the power to resist the temptation to lust, right, or the power to resist anger towards the bullies? Mm. Uh, I remember when these school shootings, which are not new. Uh, first broke ground uh, with the Columbine mm -hmm. shooting in Colorado. And it manifested itself in other schools. And I remember reading about this little boy that one day just pulled out a gun and began to shoot randomly. And I think he just injured a few people. And then afterwards, he just threw the gun in the ground and kept saying, yelling, kill me, please kill me, please kill me. For years, he had been the victim of bullying. 
and that anger just boiled up inside of him until one day he decided to just go to school and begin to shoot randomly. Thankfully, it wasn't like the Columbine situation, but still, it could have. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it was anger. Right. Anger that was not dealt with. What better gift of love and mercy than for the law of God to be placed inside that kid so that he can now have something that can manage his anger, mm. something that can uh, acknowledge the hurt, uh, acknowledge what's the wrong that's been done to him, but bring a different approach to how to relate to anger. The Bible doesn't say don't get angry. The Bible says be angry, but do not sin. So you can be angry. You can own that that emotion, which is a blessing, right? Because we all have to drive 94 and 275 hmm. sometimes. So you're not making a mistake. You're not sinning if you're angry, <laughs> but do not sin. You can only do that when the presence of the love of God is in your heart. So how does this how does this happen then? How do we? Because um, I hear what you're saying. So God changes our heart, but is it just some? Uh, how does that go on? How does that happen to us? Well, we will probably leave that how to our next episode. Okay. As far as the, the nitty-gritty of it. But Romans 5 verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Love is not this abstract, uh, like a multivitamin from heaven. Mm-hmm. Love comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Mm. And there are other parts of the Bible that says that God writes his lois Hebrews, chapter 10, the new covenant experience, right. in which God writes his laws in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. They're not two separate experiences. The love of God being poured into our hearts and the law of God being written into our hearts are one and the same experience. Mm. Because uh, I'm gonna read as we close, uh, Romans chapter 13, um, actually, if you want to, I don't know if you want to read it for us, John. Uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 8 through 10. Sure, it says, uh, this is Romans 13, 8 through 10. It says, Owe no one anything except love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I don't think we can get any more clear than that, John. Right. It's pretty... Uh, the, the idea that the law is for old covenant graces for the new covenant is a lie from Satan because he doesn't want you and I to have that law written in our hearts mm. and if we have that law written in our hearts we will be empowered supernaturally to love other human beings wow so you know you're making me think love has been attacked from so many different angles mm. because not like you said Satan doesn't want that mm -hmm. so he's changed the definition of love he's he's Oh, wow. I mean, it, the, the attack is from all That's angles. Right. So what, what do we do all of this right now is begin to uh, accept the biblical definition of what love is. Mm -hmm. Love is the law of God. Mm. And for us, some of us, we may squirm because, you know, of, yeah, legalism. Legalism is humanity trying to keep the law of God right. all by itself, which is an impossibility. 
the, the, the law can only be kept when I become broken, when I become distrustful of myself, when I allow my pride to be laid low at the foot of the cross and cry out, Lord, save me. I, I cannot, I, I feel just like Romans chapter seven. I see the good things that the law tells me to do. I want to do them, but the more I try to do it, the, <laughs> the, the more I wallow in the mud of sin. I don't need the law, I need a savior from mm. sin. Because sin is what's messing me up. The law is not the problem. The problem is me with sin in my heart. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus forgives, he cleanses, and then through the presence of the spirit, begins to fill in all that precious, beautiful blessing that we call love, and that now we know how to define love. Love is the love of God in my heart. Mm. Amen. So we can leave you that with, with those closing thoughts uh, to your listener, that um, as you wrestle with this idea, we don't want you to leave you with the idea, it's okay to be a legalist. No, it's you needing Jesus to do this miracle in your life he promises to do so. Pray it, claim it, and believe it. Jesus wants to put his love into your heart. <laughs>